Welcome to the Synapse Nips Podcast, where we explore the power of health and healing. On this podcast, we will be talking with health experts, professionals, and leaders about hot topics in the world of health. Whether it's tools to help you flourish, successful stories to inspire, or tips to optimize your health, Synapse Nips is here to help you take the first steps towards living your best life. Welcome to part two of uh, COVID and our vaccination conversation. Uh, it's Dr. Josh, Dr. Troy, and Marquis uh, here today, and we're just going to keep the conversation going. We've got some interesting new things that have happened in the world, too, just to touch on. But today, I think uh, we will take a look at a few topics. Number one, again, is discernment. Number two, uh, some of the science behind the vaccine or the uh, approach to COVID, uh, some of the issues that we raised before as, as far as cancel culture and just talk a little bit about what we're seeing out there. And then um, just some solutions and, and what we can do moving forward. There's also been a few uh, new things that happened here locally and uh, internationally that I think we should touch on. So we'll just see where it goes. And I've also got some links to some good sites because I heard from a lot of you uh, about how helpful it was to, to at least look at the data from different people and uh, in particular I'll put out the information from the VAERS uh, reports because it can be really hard to find on their website and there's a great site that organizes all the data for you so I'll get you that information and we'll go through it too. Yeah we're going to work on getting this stuff on our website and mm -hmm. we're kind of really on this um, but our website will be a better resource for what we talk about here. It's just Marquis and I have to find time to do it. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're kind of busy treating a lot of uh, people uh, with uh, just all of the normal uh, issues. And I will say this, when people have fear or stress, their overall health goes down. So whatever they were battling before becomes heightened. So you have to have an increased focus on your health and well-being. And so we're pretty busy because of that, which is a good thing that uh, we're able to to it's be here to, for people. Good to have a big team. Yes, we're, we're our normal level of busy, plus COVID. Plus, yes, mm -hmm. yeah. plus plus. Every night is uh, extra. Yes, you didn't sleep last night, right? I slept a lot last night. I was just telling these guys how much how much I did sleep last night. But I, but I also. After my uh, work day yesterday, I spent uh, the next uh, couple hours working on emergencies. So, mm -hmm. so a normal work day gets stretched out a couple hours pretty much every day and then into the weekend. This is why I try not to have too many friends, so I don't have too many people <laughs> asking me for things outside of work. Well played. Yeah. This is why this is why we all consider Dr. Josh a genius. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, where do we start? What do you where Where do you want to jump into when it comes to the vaccine COVID conversation? Well, we should talk about how this vaccine works a bit because sure. it's not typical yes as far as vaccines go and i think understanding a little bit about how it works without getting hopefully too into the weeds is helpful we, we you played that clip that audio clip last time with the doctor saying it it would make more sense if we considered this a drug therapy and not a vaccine mm -hmm. for part of these conversations and i and i agree with that so we should discuss kind of how that how that works so let's see Without getting into the weeds, though, that's the hard part. Well, let's. How about the real simple version of how the mRNA works? Yeah. So basically, 
in, in contradiction to how it works when we get COVID. So when we get COVID, generally speaking, we inhale it, it gets into our lungs, and there's a barrier system, an immune barrier system it has to penetrate to get through the lung barrier to then get into our body and into circulation. It binds to ACE receptors, and there's ACE receptors all over our body. The majority of the ACE receptors are in the lungs, then the cardiovascular system. There's also ACE receptors that line our GI tract that are on the surface of our uh, uh, other organs, and uh, especially the ovaries and testes, things like that. Yeah. And so, so if it breaches that lung barrier, that's where we can see severe complications from COVID. Now with the mRNA vaccines, which are different than the Johnson & Johnson, the mRNA vaccines, you get injected into the muscle, in the shoulder usually, and uh, they want it to go into those cells, and then we have a mechanism of action within the actual cell itself. Some of the primary literature from Pfizer actually has a good chart to kind of walk you through it, and that's yeah, why... Maybe we'll link that too. Yeah, we'll maybe link that too, because that chart looks is good for people to understand how this how the mechanism works now there's multiple stages but it, essentially the mRNA gets into the cell it uh, gets uh, it breaks down from its vesicle the delivery system and then it goes into the ribosomes our DNA then helps uh, with the transcription process and it turns that RNA into proteins these proteins then are looked at by uh, two different classes of immune system response, M-class 1, M-class 2 is just a simple way of saying it. Bottom line is our immune cells will then present that protein on the outside of the cell so our other part of our immune system can make antibodies against it. That's the real, real short version of it. Um, one of the challenges with that is part of the vaccination delivery system puts in there a component that inhibits our intracellular immune response so our own immune system does not attack the mRNA. The mRNA is supposed to degrade within 10 days is what they want it to have happen and it's not supposed to escape outside of the cell and the, the spike proteins are not supposed to escape outside of the cell. Even though the chart that we're going to link to has an arrow that says it can happen. <laughs> yes, exactly. And the research has shown that it can be anywhere from 23%, and the highest I saw was 73% escape, which means it's now circulating. So that's the equivalent of a, the spike protein from COVID um, breaching the lung barrier system. So those people are the ones we generally see have the most serious adverse reactions yeah. right away. So let's say something, too, just to clarify. So that spike protein is the same thing that's going to be on top of the virus, that's the key that unlocks the cells that they're infecting. That's the whole ACE receptor piece. So yes. those receptors are the keys, and yep. the spike proteins are gonna, or sorry. It's protein. Yeah, the spike <laughs> proteins are the keys, and the ACE receptors are the, the doorway. Yes. I'm even confusing myself as I'm saying it. But that's the way it should work. And like you said, we don't want to have those spike proteins circulating because that's also one of the main contributor, contributors to immune dysfunction yes. post-vaccine, and even then with you know just normal COVID. We see the same types of inflammatory issues with COVID and, and post-COVID issues just like we do with the vaccine, and it's because the inflammation response by the immune system is the same to that protein. Yeah, exactly. And, and one of the other challenges, too, is 
the act of making sure there's a safe delivery system of the mRNA uh, shuts down a part of our intracellular immune response, our toll-like receptors, and, and they're, they're like little sentinels within the cell that protect the cell from parasites, other viruses, and bacteria that can get inside the cell. The risk with that is when you downregulate that, you're more prone to other infections. Mm -hmm. You're also more prone to cancers and DNA and or DNA damage because our toll-like receptor system helps protect our DNA. So that's why we're starting to see some of these uh, observations. I'm not saying any, there hasn't been any long-term studies on this yet because we don't know, yeah, but there's been some observations by oncologists that a lot of their patients who are in five years, 10 years remission with their cancers are coming back shortly after their vaccinations. Now, do we know it's the vaccinations? No. Should we suspect and interrogate this situation? Mm -hmm. Yes. Should we dismiss it completely and say vaccines have nothing to do with it? No. And that's unfortunately one of the things we're seeing by people um, in the media per se or uh, just people who should know better in the healthcare world. We talked about this last time. We can't shut down healthy conversation. Correct. And that's yes. what's needed. Otherwise, we're not going to know what the risks are, and we need to communicate those risks appropriately. Yes. Even outside of the cancer situation, when I have a person coming in post-COVID or post-vaccine, we discuss what are the several options for why you might be having symptoms. One of them is what you just said, an increase in infections, which there's published studies on this already. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Increase in infections as a mechanism for why people have symptoms beyond COVID. It's not COVID directly, it's that either COVID or the vaccine are causing a change within the cellular landscape that allows these infections. They're kind of there, but now they're not being controlled properly within right. the, by the immune system. Right, so that whole mechanism can um, create a scenario of, of injury. And I think one of the things I'm going to relay at this point is the, the VAERS uh, information. And so I don't know if everyone's aware of VAERS. This is our, our tracking system in the United States. I'm going to respectfully say it's very broken and uh, it's hard to get accurate numbers. The one study out of Harvard shows that it's anywhere from 1% to 10% of actual injuries being reported. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of colleagues working in hospitals that are very frustrated by this system because the actual mechanism of how to report this is quite challenging. It can take an hour to an hour and a half to fill out all the information and when you are an overworked medical doctor treating COVID and everything else, it's simply, it's just not doable in a busy schedule, number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, I've had a lot of colleagues and friends who are treating patients who believe the patients have been vaccine injured, but uh, other doctors on staff uh, disagree or, or didn't even consider it as a, a potential injury. And so there's, there's not a lot of clarity and not a lot of uh, actual protocol when it comes to these types of injuries. When you actually work inside the hospital system, there's a lot of uh, things that just fall through the cracks with this. And we see a lot of people years later from vaccine injury. And I remember when this first started, I, I heard uh, one of the head immunologists from Mayo Clinic came out and his exact words were, we have to be careful not to rush a vaccine because I treat more people for injury from the H1N1 vaccine than I ever did H1N1. And I, that stuck with me because yeah. that I, I felt like was a true statement based on what we've seen in the past. Mm -hmm. 
Now the actual VARES data I've got it right in front of me. I want everyone to know this link will be up uh, on our site here too. But if you go to VARES, which is V-A-E-R-S analysis.info, it'll give you uh, an up-to-date analysis of the information that's come out. The VARES website itself is actually quite challenging for a lot of my patients to, to get through. So I'm going to read off some numbers. This is as of November 5th, 2021. Uh, this is the COVID-19 vaccine reports from December 2020 to present. The number of adverse reactions, 875,653. Um, all other vaccines, every other vaccine from 1990 to present, 849,110. So we just surpassed all other vaccines added together in history for adverse reactions reported. Number of deaths, 18,461. Again, all other vaccines from 1990 to present, 9,223. So right there, that should give pause to just say, what's going on here? Is this a good idea? Is this our best road to take when it comes to vaccines? They have a whole bunch of other bits of information as well as like permanent disabilities after vaccination, uh, birth defects after vaccination. And I want people to, to know about this because I've said to many of my patients, um, just letting them know these numbers, they were, some of them were shocked that people have died from this vaccine because their source was not relaying this information either because they're worried about vaccine hesitancy. Yeah. So let me ask you this because I don't know. With the various data, how much can we trust or how can we trust that what's entered in because it is a self-reporting system is true what's the percentage if, if it's known that might be falsely attributed to covid vaccine even though it's on there so that's a great question we don't know yeah that's that's the <laughs> that's problem the problem because when when patients self-report mm -hmm. they're more likely to spend the time putting that that information in but that could be overreported or underreported we actually don't know the doctors we definitively have one study that shows it's underreported yeah, drastically. 10%, right? Yeah, 10% being reported. That means 90%, which means theoretically, let's just say even it's underreported 50%, we double those numbers yeah, or triple those numbers. That's not unrealistic or not even something to, well, it's okay to speculate on that because that's what we know. And so that's why the system is broken. We don't have a good system. And my biggest challenge with this whole thing is the collection of data when it came to COVID in the first place. We should be collecting information about the vaccines the same way we did with COVID. The World Health Organization, the CDC, the NIH have all come forward saying that we know the PCR testing in the beginning was falsely calibrated, meaning the sensitivity was, was set so high that it was, it was uh, flagging things as COVID that might have been flu or COVID-like instead of just COVID. Or nothing, yes, because there was DNA fragments from that that were similar. So it was over flagging a lot of infections, or not even infections. People were asymptomatic. So again, all of the data we have on asymptomatic spread kind of has this big question mark beside it because we don't know if the testing was accurate. So there has been a huge problem with data collection, and a lot of smart people will make arguments based off of data. But if the data is not accurate, 
then it becomes very challenging to actually get to a, a, a concise point, this is what we should do. However, having said that, even with all the inaccurate data, we've gotten to a point where I think it's pretty clear on a few things that certain people don't do well with the vaccines. Yeah. That's always been the case. And I think looking at other vaccines, it's always been taboo to discuss vaccine injury. And my stance has always been, I'm, I'm not going to say that vaccines are always bad for everybody. And I'm not going to say that vaccines are always good for everybody. There has to be that nuance where certain people with certain risks should get it or should consider get it, getting it. And a lot of other people should look at that risk, regardless of the vaccine, and say, is it worth it? And yeah. often it's not. Yeah, risk-reward. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you guys this. Um, risk-reward, uh, what are your thoughts on that scenario when it comes to what they're saying right now with the uh, kids getting it, the mm -hmm. 5 to 11-year-old? <laughs> yeah, I mean... Any concerns there? I've seen kids who have had COVID, and I haven't seen anybody who's had negative outcomes. Now, that's a small group anecdotally, but I think the data on that age group, can, can kids have problems? Yeah, but they can from anything, and it's a very, mm -hmm. very small percentage that seem to have any negative outcome. I believe some of the numbers I saw it was less than flu and less than some of these other common respiratory viruses. And because we don't know how that age group would respond to a new vaccine, one, first do no harm has to be the, the main goal. And because we don't know if the vaccines are going to be harmful, and we could speculate that as right now we're seeing the younger demographics seem to have more negative outcomes with the vaccine, we could speculate that it would be problematic for the 5 to 11 age group or younger. We don't know that till it happens necessarily, but at the same time, why are we trying if this, if this is... A vaccine that one is, you know, kids can still get COVID. Anybody can still get COVID if you have the vaccine. You can still pass COVID if you have the vaccine. Kids don't usually get very sick from this anyways. So what is the point of vaccinating all these kids if it's not protecting anybody else and it might be harmful to them? So I have kids in this age group. I'm not, it's not on my radar to vaccinate them for this because I don't see that the risk benefit ratio really mm -hmm. makes any sense you know I think it only makes sense once you have for COVID increased age increased comorbidities something where you could have a tough time with COVID and that's not to say that again that a kid can't have trouble it's just that when you look at the group as a whole you know, we're likely you know I think to see worse outcomes with a mass mandated vaccine than we are with all those kids also getting COVID yeah, that brings up a good point because um, um, it doesn't matter. As you're trying to discern through this, it's very important to realize that there are going to be poor outcomes for people who have COVID and there's going to be poor outcomes for people who are vaccinated. Mm -hmm. We've already seen that. We know that. Now, we also know that there's, there are things like comorbidities that set up a lot of the poor outcomes, especially in the elderly. But even with the, the kids, a lot of the research shows that many of the kids that did not do well with COVID were in a category that were expected not to live within a year anyway. So that makes it a little challenging when you don't discern through that data to actually identify some of those things. And that, that's not really being represented all that well. So, so discernment is very, very, very important. And part of, uh, part of this conversation really has to do uh, with 
this strange phenomenon that we're seeing of suppression of information, the cancel culture scenario. And we've got some recent, um, in the news, uh, people that have come forward and um, have just said they tried a different approach and it worked well for them. And, and uh, were attacked for it. Joe Rogan is one. Aaron Rodgers is another one. Uh, so uh, when it comes to, uh, we talked a little bit about this before, but uh, when it comes to uh, this mindset, it's important, I think, for people in an emotional time to try not uh, uh, be as emotionally connected to the scenario. you got to almost remove yourself from that to, to make a, a, a good a decision because that'll be an ongoing battle, uh, and you're just going to hear emotions and I, I will play a video of, a, of an interview of a father that's very emotional a little bit later uh, from a different uh, perspective but we could we could spend the next two years going back and forth on the emotional component of how you've been impacted by this and you'll all be right on both sides of the conversation and so the important part of it is in a difficult situation how do you navigate through this and there are some there are some people worldwide kind of leading the pack. Sweden, Sweden again, was the only country that went with the established World Health Organization's protocol on uh, an outbreak like this. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, they didn't mandate masks, they didn't mandate lockdowns, they didn't mandate uh, vaccinations, but they made them available so people could choose. And if you look at their numbers, and again, Ivor Cummings does a good job of breaking down the all-cause mortality numbers with Sweden compared to the rest of the world, it, it shows us that it was managed. They had casualties and consequences. Mm -hmm. So that part is also very true. Yeah. There is no perfect solution to this, but there's, there is a better road, I think, than what we've decide to do here in the United States and even worldwide. Yeah. Yes. Well, so let's, uh, I think we should probably touch on some of the local stuff too yeah. that you had mentioned. Because um, I know a few things have happened recently that seem to be shifting some of this conversation a bit. Yeah, we actually had a, a news article here in the Star Tribune in Minneapolis that uh, came out that was the first one I've seen in more of the, what the, you'd call the mainstream uh, reporting on this. And it just, it basically stated um, that it's obvious, at least to this reporter, uh, based on the, the science that uh, there is, um, the vaccines are not working as intended. And that uh, they laid out a plan to basically move forward in a world with COVID, where we we focus our efforts on uh, looking at you know people who did well with it and why, mm -hmm. and and trying to go down that road and that approach a little bit more. And there's a few other things, and I don't agree with everything that was in the article, but at least it was a conversation. In a, in a different... It was allowed to be published. It was allowed it's to be published, which was... <laughs> we haven't seen that for a year and a half. I'm just going to mm -hmm. say that. So that was, I think, a good start. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, also, we're starting to see things like... Uh, I'm a football fan, and uh, I like my Minnesota Vikings. And recently, they uh, a lot of people on the team um, weren't able to play because of the COVID protocol. Some of them were vaccinated. Some of them were unvaccinated. And they were all... Um, staying home and not able to play because of COVID. And that's 
that's how this uh, has played out. So these, these episodes have been happening. And Dr. Robert Malone uh, speaks about what a leaky vaccine is. And so uh, he, he helps and will do a way better job than I will uh, even explain what leaky vaccine means. But it is what it kind of sounds like, basically. It's not 100% um, like a vaccine should be. Like if you get vaccinated against the smallpox and the vaccine works, it helps eradicate smallpox in you. You can't, you can't get the smallpox again. And it doesn't spread. It doesn't mm-hmm. spread. Whereas a leaky vaccine can cause a mutation scenario where you have a different variant that comes out and it becomes less and less effective at the original variant. So the people getting vaccinated against the current variant uh, won't be as protected. And I know a lot of people don't know this as well, but uh, Pfizer and Moderna uh, and Johnson Johnson have changed their formula multiple times since the beginning. So the people who got the vaccine a year ago is not the same vaccine that they're getting right now. If you go to their actual sites and look at it, they will show you how many updates they've had. It doesn't show you what the ingredients are, correct? Not yet. So um, I, if anyone out there has the actual ingredients, I mean full ingredients. I don't mean trademarked ingredients. Send it to me because I've not seen it. I've requested it because mm-hmm. this is also one of my other challenges. I've had patients ask me for uh, a medical exemption from vaccines. I said, well, they're only accepting it if you've got Guillain-Barre syndrome or if you have an anaphylaxis to one of the ingredients. So when I requested the ingredients list for the vaccines, um, didn't get a full list. Mm-hmm. You had some trademark products on there, but you couldn't get it. Yeah. And I'm just going to say this. If it's FDA approved, they have 10 days by law to release the ingredients list. So that whole thing, and we went back and forth on this because yeah. I remember that when it first got it came out, I came out and said um, uh, that the, the Pfizer shot was not FDA approved. Oh, it was FDA approved. Oh, it's not. <laughs> Because I was listening to, to people I thought were in the know, and they they weren't sure. Well, I've kind of settled on the fact that the that we can't get a full ingredients list tells me it's not fully FDA approved. Um, but I'm willing to be wrong on that if someone can send me a full ingredients list. And uh, there's all kinds of information about uh, what's been FDA approved, and that's the one to come from Pfizer. But... Um, I'm telling you right now, if you can get me a full ingredients list with every ingredient, then then I'll that'll make uh, me feel better about what what is FDA approved and what's not. But then I at least know for my patients if they've got <laughs> anaphylaxis. I can't even write a medical exemption for anaphylaxis against unknown ingredients. Yeah. Really, the only way you can get it now is if you've gotten the COVID shot once and had anaphylaxis. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you're wouldn't be able to get the, the next one mm-hmm. right. like being covered for an initial yes. it has to be for the ingredients like you said but we don't know what they are so we can't right. tell people oh you have anaphylaxis to this unknown thing and right. it can't be covered well I'm just going to say this too when it comes to adverse reactions it shouldn't be anaphylaxis as the only thing you're being pigeoned completely well, we've seen way more injuries from this we've seen deaths from this I think cardiovascular you, I think you should mention what counts What's the timeline for what counts as a vaccine-related injury? I know we've talked about this. I think that's an important point. Yeah, some of the collection of data, and this goes again to how we collect data, um, there are some scenarios where uh, hospitals are not classifying um, vaccine injury uh, 
based on the timeline of when they got the vaccine. So if you get the vaccine and then you get COVID within the two weeks, that is still considered unvaccinated in their minds. Mm -hmm. Now, if you get the vaccine and you die within three days, that is determined as a, a vaccine-related death. And that's the majority of deaths reported have occurred within three days. Gotcha. What's not been reported, so that again, that, those are two different scenarios. Mm -hmm. So, and I get that there is a there is a time delay for you to create antibodies. So there is actually some rationale behind that, but it should come with an asterisk because mm -hmm. yeah. there is a potential for the vaccine to actually induce a COVID positive test and scenario versus just getting COVID. We don't know if this came from COVID from a natural source or from the vaccine itself. The other the other side of that is the the number of. Um, well, I'll, I'll maybe talk about that a little bit later. We'll, we'll move on to the next uh, right, sure. next topic there. <laughs> I, I also want to uh, decrease speculation as much as possible, but I'm just going to say the the tracking of the information is very poor. I, and I will say this part. So basically, I, I personally think, this is my personal opinion, that the majority of under-reporting injuries are occurring after the two-week mark. I believe that because of the... Uh, impact of now this is true for COVID too, but the vaccines, the majority of deaths are within three days. I believe there are there are people that are having problems two weeks, three weeks, and even a couple months after vaccine. Autoimmune, we know it takes a while, but uh, when it comes to the clotting factors, we're seeing problems with heart disease, stroke, with people who did not have that in their history, two, three weeks, four weeks, and even a couple months later. I've also seen that with COVID. So I had a good colleague of mine who passed away, who had COVID, did well with it, and had lung clots. Hmm. And so that's why it's important, uh, unvaccinated, had COVID, did well with it, died later on. Hmm. Of course, he was lambasted in the media um, for spreading misinformation about vaccination and COVID stuff. but. Um, my point with that is the vaccines are doing the same thing, but not getting the same amount of attention to detail, if you will. And the most important comment with all that is if you've had COVID and or the vaccine, you need to just stay on top of your health. In particular, when it comes to the cardiovascular, getting assessed for cardiovascular risk, specifically clotting and things like getting a fibrin fibrinogen test and a D-dimer test in your standard blood work is a great idea just to get a, a sense of how well you're doing with that clotting, whether you've had COVID or the vaccine. I think it's a great idea just to add that to your standard panel. Yeah, we do that all the time. Now. We do uh, do that all the time. And uh, just off the top of that, I know you don't have this number in front of you, but how what would you estimate the percentage of patients that have come back high, COVID or vaccine? Over 50% um, of our patients that we've tested. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'd, I don't know if I could say more than that, but I, I know that there's this was something that we saw. This is the reason why we started to do D-dimer tests is that there was one study I believe that said 25% of people post-COVID for several months will have D-dimers elevated, yeah. and D-dimer is a specific test that's only high if you're having some sort of ongoing clotting. Yeah, doesn't mean that you're going to get a stroke or a lung emb right. embolism or anything like that, but you've got some sort of clotting going on somewhere. And 25% of all people who've had COVID for several months later, I mean, that's that's significant. It is. So we started to look, and we would find this in, like you said, both people who had COVID, and maybe they still had some lingering symptoms, or with the vaccine as well, seeing elevated D-dimers. And 
know, with that some of those people maybe have issues with cardiovascular health beforehand. Yeah. But it's worth knowing it regardless and fixing it. Yeah. And I'm just going to say cardiovascular health, cardiovascular disease is the number one killer of people in the United States. So there's a lot of people coming into this COVID and vaccine that aren't healthy in that world. They don't know they're not healthy either because mm -hmm. they haven't necessarily been proactive. One of the things we like to do here is to look at things proactive. Let's get some peace of mind around your heart disease. We've set up an entire program just on that. So tell me a little bit about what people can do if they do get an elevated D-dimer. What's something they can do to actually help with that? Some, an easy fix, per se. Um, I should say that none of this is medical advice, and please consult with your right. personal <laughs> uh, medical <laughs> provider. Um, but, you know, the things that we do... It's a lot because it depends on other things going on with the person's body. Yeah. Like you said, if it's if it's a full-on cardiovascular issue where the person, maybe they have diabetes or maybe they've got high cholesterol or maybe they've got significant inflammation, all of those have to be addressed too. Yes. And then even just from a clotting perspective, you know, anything that we tend to do from an anti-inflammatory perspective is going to help. Like omega-3 fish oils. Yeah, like fish oil, stuff like that. Yeah. We use some enzyme blends. Natokinase is something that's been studied. Um, this is All this stuff has to be done uh, carefully, though, because yes. there are some people who are already on blood thinners or they're taking aspirin, and adding on more and more and more in this category, you can tip that scale the wrong way. Yeah, and that's why you need to work with your doctor well, on this. Yeah, yeah. So because, uh, number one, you have to treat the underlying condition, like the diabetes mm -hmm. and the cardiometabolic stuff, but you, you can overdo... The, the thinning of the blood. So you have to protect yourself. But the, the point is, I would say, we know how to do that. Yeah. We and know we how to and manage we track it. I think that's the important part, too, is you can't just shoot from the hip for some of this. Yeah. You have to know what you're shooting for. I just had a person who has post-COVID symptoms, and we, I told her, we looked for a couple things. We looked, do you have um, post-COVID inflammation markers? Because there are several things we look at there. Do you have an exacerbation of... A comorbidity or do you have some sort of underlying infection that got activated and there's a couple other categories too she didn't have any of the inflammation right. but we wouldn't have known that we expected it because of her history but yeah. we did the testing and looked at those markers no nope, that's not the problem and so you move on to the next thing and so I think it's it's important to be specific and obviously it's hard without working with a professional that has access to these tests um, but the thing that you can do is healthy diet, less stress, sleep well, all of these things that are basics. The foundational stress. Mm -hmm. yeah. Those things you don't need a, a doctor for, although we help with that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's harder, you know, easier said than done. Um, but yeah, our toolbox is ever growing yeah. for these issues, uh, which is good. There's a lot of studies, uh, a lot of people writing things about how to manage this stuff, and most people don't know that that exists. And that, we, that's, we try to stay on top of it. Yeah, yeah, we, we do try and stay on top of it. It's actually a hard, hard thing. And I'm just going to say, um, I, I've been in practice for uh, over 22 years. I have a team here. There's no way I would be able to do what I do without my team. So uh, I'm just going to say this. If you are a practitioner, you need a, you need a Dr. Josh and a marquee on your staff <laughs> to get stuff done. I always say, people say, how do you get so much stuff done? And how do you, how do you know all this stuff? And I say... I've got a Josh and a Marquis. <laughs> so you, you need a team. And I have, I have much more than that. I have a brilliant team right now. They do a great job of uh, communicating, uh, working together, and I think reflect what should be happening at a, at a bigger level. They have, uh, I'm going to get this right, 
they have excellence without ego. Yes. So I'm known to say that backwards, you guys. <laughs> ego without excellence. No, they have excellence without ego where we share ideas about what we're reading, what we're seeing, and we're open to being wrong. And we trust each other enough to, to uh, be okay looking dumb in front of each other. And that's actually a gift when it comes to actually getting to the truth. I'm just going to say it that way. Well, it's, it's unique. I tell patients this when they come in for their first visits. I've worked in several other clinics. You, you haven't. You've only worked in yours. I've, I've worked in myself. Yeah, I've worked in several others. And nothing against those other clinics. I've worked in good clinics that have done a good job. But this is the only one I've been to where we meet for about an hour every morning, except for Saturdays and Sundays, although sometimes we need that. Yeah. And then Thursdays, we typically meet for two to three hours during that day, too. I mean, that's up to eight hours a week, like a full workday, practically, where we're spending time with each other talking about cases, talking about these issues, and it is a collaborative effort. Everybody is very willing. And everybody has their expertise, yeah. too. I mean, I'm, I'm not like Dr. Tanay. She's great. She does things that I don't do and don't want to do and can't yeah. do. And so that's, that's why we built a team like this, is to support everybody. And I would say, in general, if you're listening to this, uh, wherever you are in the country or even other countries, we have people from um, uh, all over listening to this, find a doctor who will work with you, who will look at both sides of this conversation. Now, they may be convicted one way or, the, or another, but as long as they're willing to work with you, uh, it's important for you to know your body, to, for you to really know uh, what's working, what's not working, but it's important for the doctor to do their due diligence to, to look at both sides of it. So if you request a D-dimer, fibrinogen, and some of these other labs, um, and, and they are off, then you've got some, something to work with there. And so there are many doctors. We're not alone with how we uh, do this approach. There are many, many uh, doctors and teams uh, out there that are doing things uh, the right way, I'm going to call it, as far as the collaboration, or a different way. Um, there, there's value on, on both sides of the, the, within the medical community. The value is in having, having an open, open mind yes. and doing what's best for right. people. Yeah. So see, it's okay. I'm just going to say it this way. It's okay to fire your doctor. I'm going to say it that way. Even if it's us. Even if it is us, yes, yes absolutely. That, really. That's excellence without ego, yeah. Right. All right, so one other thing uh, that's been in the news recently uh, that I uh, just want to touch base again is uh, Chris Masterjohn and a few other doctors have, uh, have tackled the study that came out um, on the uh, natural immunity versus the vaccine immunity. And so we'll put the link up for that uh, as well. And uh, they do a good job of actually breaking it down. And he, he goes through point by point. And we did talk about this a little bit uh, in the last segment. But I want to make sure you guys uh, actually see the breakdown because his, his take on it is very, very good. And uh, he, he discusses again, and this is what I think, I really want, as you move forward, in, in life, I want you to have your level of discernment and your filter on for what is good science and bad science. Because he walks through, this is a perfect example of just looking at the data that was there and having a completely different take on what that data says and, um, uh, and what to do about it. Because right now, uh, we have seen a manipulation of data, and I know there's just another uh, whistleblower that came forward with uh, within Pfizer talking about how some of the data was manipulated there. That's actually been in the news this last week on, from three different sources, three different communities. Manipulation of da scientific data 
to get desired outcomes. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. And when I, <laughs> when this all started, uh, I mentioned to Dr. Josh, I, I don't get fearful about much of anything. And I wasn't fearful about the virus. I, I thought I, I have a strong faith and I know uh, God will direct me uh, when it comes to giving guidance to people. But I did have concerns about the weaponization of our healthcare system, mm -hmm. where good people all of a sudden become the influencers of a bad message. And that's what I have seen play out during this whole process, where good people working in the hospitals have become, and doctors have become the weapon, if you will, because people trust them, and they're trusting the people and the information based on the bad data or manipulation of data. That's a problem. So I want, and we're starting to see people get that and rise up. If you, if you just look at, not mainstream media, but look at all of the protests worldwide right now, it's everywhere. Thousands of people in Melbourne, Australia. Thousands of people in Austria. Uh, Denmark. Uh, Canada. Uh, United States actually has the, the least number of people protesting, which is bizarre to me. But <laughs> worldwide, the protests are, are staggeringly higher than here in the United States. And so I think it's because they, they're a little bit ahead of us when it comes to them having heightened discernment, like, wait a second, something's not adding up. Some other countries have pushed some, you know, the mandates a bit harder, right. faster yes, than us, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, a, that's big a big part, part of it. it. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, any, uh, I don't want to say last words. That's an awful way to end, uh, <laughs> end uh, uh, a COVID vaccine uh, conversation. But anything that is on your heart to just talk about uh, as we uh, send you off on this uh, podcast? I think the big thing with COVID or, or vaccine or whatever, I, I should say this. I have some patients that have decided to get the vaccine, and I support them in that. I don't think it's wrong if your personal risk assessment pushes you that direction. I think it's on the table and should be a part of a discussion for anybody who's concerned. So I have people who have opted to do that. I usually tell them then, listen, there's some things that we can do proactively for inflammation, for the cardiovascular stuff, to try to mitigate any negative consequence. Is it perfect? No, nothing, nothing is. But I think what I, what I don't want people to hear is that all vaccines, all treatments are all bad all the time. Because I think for, some, for a lot of people who work on this stuff medically, yeah. there is good intent for yeah. the majority of the people the majority yeah, absolutely. of the time. Mm -hmm. People, I think, generally want to be helpful. But it's the message that's twisted yes. in a lot of ways. Um, I have a lot of other patients then who decide not to. I would say the majority of the people here in our clinic opt not to get the vaccine as a rule. And that's not necessarily because we're telling them not to. It's just that's their own risk assessment. And we support people that way as well. So I think it's important to get to the place where you're confident as much as possible in your own health and feel like you have the tools in order to take care of it one way or another. Um, and if you don't feel that way, that's why, that's why groups like us exist. We have people all the time. It's the main reason why people are probably coming to our clinic right now our questions about COVID and how do we be proactive and how to recover. Well, we're also giving them resources mm -hmm. for the other side of this conversation so they can actually get a good risk assessment. Mm -hmm. And we're exactly. so constantly surprised by how many people don't know yeah. what the what the science is saying mm -hmm. or that there's these other factors. Yeah. 
It's like we said, if we if you look at the risk and you look at the death rates and all of that, um, it's the odds are still in everybody's favor. Isn't that from a movie? I don't know. I don't watch enough movies. That <laughs> My wife would know. probably. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I think it's worth taking seriously, but also worth keeping your head on straight. Nice. Whatever <laughs> that means. That's why we adjust people. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's why we have to adjust. <laughs> But I'll say with all that being said, um, as much as possible, get back to the basics. Mm-hmm. Sleep mm-hmm. well, eat well, exercise, yeah. and keep your mind right. Pray, meditate, whatever you do to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's super important in times like this. I agree. Yeah, the, the healthier you are heading into COVID or vaccines, the better the outcome. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that, that I don't think is disputed. And uh, yeah, I, for me, I'm at a point where I just feel um, very convicted that uh, we have to first do no harm. And right now I have a strong, strong, uh, it's not anger, but it's getting there, uh, a strong urgency to protect our kids. And because I do think we've, we've really hit a point where uh, people have to step up and start speaking out more to protect our kids. Because I do, I personally think we could have, we we don't necessarily need a, I know we don't need a harmful vaccine when we know how to treat it for the most part. Now the treatments aren't 100%, but at this point when I weigh risk reward, I feel more confident with treating COVID, prevention of COVID, um, severe COVID. Uh, we know more of how to do that than we know, uh, you know, the outcomes the other way. So, uh, and it just really is, um, something that, uh, uh, I don't sit well with when I just see people making decisions without, with incomplete information. Mm -hmm. It just, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't, it doesn't work out right. And, uh, we've just seen things go, uh, the wrong direction. So, I hope this uh, information uh, serves you. That's the intent. Uh, all of us here are proud to say that we do our best to be servant leaders and uh, be in service to you. So we want that to, to be the intent here. Uh, if for some reason uh, things change, well, we'll be, we'll be back. Mm-hmm. We'll let you know our, our take on stuff as things uh, change. This is a very dynamic situation. We'll also be talking about other things eventually, not COVID or vaccine related, about just health in general, because what I would say is a lot of what we do well here is what will keep people out of the hospital, Mm -hmm. regardless of what comes in the future. So with that, uh, thank you for listening to the podcast and uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you for listening to the Synapse Nips podcast. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the podcast and share the podcast. To learn more, check out our website at www.officialsynapse.com. Until next time, this has been Synapse Nips Podcast. We'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only and should under no circumstances be considered medical advice or substitute for medical care. Any information given in this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease and is at the user's own risk. Please first consult a licensed healthcare professional.